Well, good morning, Redemption Tempe. Happy New Year. Thank you. Uh, so this morning, as we do every Sunday, the, the band and the pastors and elders meet and, and we pray and we talk through the order of service and, and somebody had, you know, made the observation of, hey, this is the first, you know, service of the new year, the first sermon of the new year. It's the first service of the new decade and we're going to set the trajectory, you know, for the next 10 years. So no pressure, no pressure at all. Uh, but that's what we're going to do. It's, it's a new year. It's the start of new things. In some ways, it's the start of a new season for our church. And we're excited. And so this morning, as you heard, we're going to look at the way that Jesus started his ministry. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 4. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Keep it raised up high. And one of the ushers will make sure to get you a Bible. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, then please take this home. Consider this our, our gift to you. We would love for you to be able to grow in your knowledge and understanding of who God is through his written word. So we know that the way we start things is important, right? We've all heard from parents or mentors or someone that first impressions are important. And I remember I had a football coach in high school who would stress this all the time. He would talk about your first impression. You can never get a second first impression, right? Your first impression is so important. So at the start of every you know, summer when we'd begin practicing, the very first thing he would make us do is we would have to learn how to shake hands, because as he would say, you know, a man needs to have a good handshake. And so we would line up and shake every player's hand and every coach's hand, and he would teach us, you meet their hand first, and then you grasp. If you grasp too early, you're shaking fingers, and no one shakes fingers. You shake hands, and you look in their eye, and you match. The, all of the, He had this whole rundown of how you shake hands, because first impressions matter, right? We know, and he would talk about it on the football field, the very first play, you go hit someone, you knock them down first, make them remember, you know, all of the football coach stuff, right? <laughs> but we know first impressions matter. I remember I was, uh, I had got a new job working at a local nonprofit that will remain nameless, and, and I was a supervisor, and I supervised some case managers, and so I wanted to make a good first impression, and so I, I walked into one of the case manager's office, and, you know, small talk, and I noticed this picture of a little girl on her desk, and I said, oh, you have such a beautiful granddaughter. You know where this is going. And she corrected me, that was her daughter, so not a great first impression. Uh, I remember, uh, it's been more than a few years ago now, when, when Ricardo, our, our former lead pastor, had just come on as the lead pastor here, um, I met with him. And wanted to connect, kind of get to know each other. And, and the offices used to be in the back here behind the stage. And, and so I brought uh, my oldest son, who at the time was probably like nine or ten months old, kind of crawling around. And, and we're meeting in Ricardo's office. And, and we're talking. And it's a great meeting. You know, I think one of the first times we, we kind of talked one-on-one. -on -one. And from the kind of corner behind us where my son was, we hear this like low rumble. And uh, he decided that it was time for his, um, you know, daily bowel movement. <laughs> and, and so Ricardo says, hey, no problem, no, you know, do what you got to do. I, I have young kids, I totally get it. And I'm like, okay, you know, he's dad, like, poopy diapers, it happens, no big deal. So uh, I go to change the diaper and realize it, it's like, it's like the mother load, like, <laughs> blowout, clothes are ruined. Uh, what I didn't know yet about Ricardo is he has an incredibly weak stomach, and, and very sensitive gag reflex. So I'm changing this diaper, and he's literally like climbing over his desk trying to get out of the office. 
as quick as possible, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like first meeting with the new lead pastor, and I'm making him dry heave, like they're going to kick us out of the church. This is, <laughs> this is horrible. Uh, but thankfully it worked out. We're, we're still around. So first impressions matter, right? About a year from now, we'll have an inauguration of a, of a president. And we know that presidents use that time to set the agenda for what they're going to accomplish in their administration, right? They lay out the plan. This is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. This is what the next four years are going to look like. And that matters. Those addresses matter. And so we would have to assume that Jesus would understand this, and the inauguration of his ministry would be important for us to consider. If this is how he is starting off his, his public ministry, then it probably matters for us who want to follow in his footsteps, right? All through Advent, we celebrate that Jesus came as a child. He was sent for a reason. And that reason, we would say, is to embody God's mission. He would, he would live, we know that he will die, that he'll be raised again, so that he could pour out his spirit on all people, of, of his people, and that they could engage in God's mission and following in his footsteps. Jesus is starting a shift in the trajectory of human history. This is a big deal. So this is what we're going to consider today. Would you guys uh, pray with me before we dive into God's word? Father, we thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that you love us and that you pursue us. We thank you that you care about your creation, and therefore you are in the process of reconciling all things. We thank you that you give us your spirit, who is your very presence with us, who empowers us. We thank you that you care about all of life. We thank you that you invite us in. And so, Father, would you use this time to, to form us as a community, into a more accurate image of who you desire your people to be in the places that you have sent us, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our jobs, in Tempe, and throughout this area, so that your name would be glorified. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more. We pray this in your name. Amen. So let's pick it up in chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 16. And he, meaning Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So we'll start where Jesus started. As he's quoting Isaiah chapter 61, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. In beginning his his public ministry, his mission, as Paul describes it, to reconcile all things, he doesn't start with the action plan. He doesn't start with the brand identity. He doesn't start with the strategy. He starts 
with the Spirit. And uh, this simple line may have brought more conviction in my sermon prep than anything else, because that's not where I tend to start. Uh, You may or may not know, my role here is pastor of local and global engagement, so uh, all things city-related, outward-focused, how do we serve our city, how do we love our brothers and sisters around the globe, that's kind of my area. And with that, as you can imagine, as we think about people experiencing homelessness, as we think about the working poor, as we think about foster care and refugees and all of these things in our city, it starts to get weighty pretty quick. Start to think about things like, where's the affordable housing in Tempe, and how are we going to solve this problem, and people are hungry, and kids have trauma, and what do we do? And and the first flinch that I have, I don't know about you guys, tends to be like, well, who can we network with? What partnerships can we leverage? How can we create a campaign? What can we do? How can we spend Tempe $10? How can we do all of these things? And if Jesus is in the process of reconciling all things, and he starts with the spirit and prayer, and I start with strategy and my own strength, something is wrong. I don't think, it wouldn't be my guess that I'm alone in this. We tend to see the problem and respond with what we can do. Now, are we called to respond? Yes, absolutely. But are we doing it in our own strength? Are we acting, as one writer describes it, as functional atheists? Who know that God, you know, God may or not may not be there, probably not, but I'm just gonna go do this thing, solve this thing before I even ask God if that's what He has for me. Before I ask God to empower me with His Spirit, it seems like if Jesus doesn't start with action but with the Spirit, then we probably should as well. The first thing we can see about God's mission is that it is empowered by the Spirit. God's mission is empowered by his spirit. It's his mission, not ours. We are invited to participate with him, but if we're going to do so, then we do the Lord's work the Lord's way. Look at how Luke describes Jesus just in these first few chapters, what Luke notices about him. Beginning in chapter 3, I'll run through really quick. Verse 22, when he's baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him. In 4 verse 1, as Jesus is being led out to the, de- to the desert for the temptation, he was led by the Spirit. As he returns from the desert, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. As he begins his public ministry, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It seems like Luke is drawing our attention to the fact that Jesus and his mission are empowered by the Spirit. We see Jesus throughout the Gospels going away by himself to pray. This is a spiritual exercise. It's not only physical. It's not just that we're engaging in creation to try to bring about restoration as Jesus does. It's not only that we're engaging in in physical things to display God's goodness in creation, but there's a spiritual component as well that we cannot forget. And I hear it so often, and at times I felt it myself when there's a national tragedy and people are frustrated, rightly so. People are angry, rightly so. When you hear this phrase, I'm sick and tired of thoughts and prayers. I understand what that's getting at. It's getting at this cliche like, oh, I'll pray for you, but I really don't spend a second thought thinking about you or your circumstance. But to assume that prayer is ineffective, puts us in dangerous territory. 
that assumes that we can solve all of these problems on our own. And church, I have news for us. We're not the first generation of believers that realizes God cares about the poor. And there are still poor people. We're not the first generation of believers that understands that God cares for the orphan. And there's still a foster care crisis. People who have gone before us are intelligent and capable. Maybe the issues are really complex. Maybe we're not as great as we think we are, and we need help. If Jesus, creator of all things, begins with the Spirit and with prayer, it would be foolish of us to think we can engage in this mission without those same things as well. God's mission is always empowered by the Spirit. That's the starting place. That's what sustains us in this work. It's hard work. Embodying the gospel is difficult. Has anyone experienced that? We just drove to my parents' house 12 hours away with our children in the car. (laughs) Patience is hard work. (laughs) It's real life. The Spirit empowers God's mission. We're not starting there. We're starting in the wrong place, and we're destined to fail. Let's see what Jesus goes on to say. Not only is mission empowered by the Spirit, he's going to reveal who the audience of this mission is uh, and what the scope of this mission is. So Jesus reads from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So John Crawford, one of the other pastors, and I uh, lead a class called DNA. And if you're unfamiliar with DNA, it is absolutely the best way to get connected to the life of our church. It's quick. It's three weeks. We go through kind of who we are, um, the three key areas that, that we believe in and what we think about those areas. And then we can get you connected to service opportunities or small groups, what we call redemption communities. And in that, we spend an entire week on mission because we believe that mission is the identity of God's people. If we were in high school, mission would not be an elective class. It would be a core class that everyone has to take. It's a requirement. If you are a Christian, you are signing up to engage in God's mission. And this is one of the passages that we look at. And month after month, as we lead DNA and we have conversations about this passage, a conversation in some form goes like this. So we read through, and somebody says, oh, yeah, 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 Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor. Well, we're all spiritually poor, and Jesus came to, to proclaim liberty for the captives, and we're all captives to sin, and we're all spiritually blind, and we all are spiritually oppressed, which is true. And then somebody says, whoa, wait, 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 but there's like actual blind people, and Jesus gave them sight, Like, Jesus actually cares about the poor, like, the economic poor. So it's like a physical, it's a literal translation. No, 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 but we're all spiritual. No, 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 it's literal, it's literal. And it's like this back and forth. And then somebody will say, well, what does redemption believe? Is this, should we understand this in a literal sense or in a spiritual sense? And the answer is yes. Yes. Jesus cares about those who are spiritually blind. And Jesus cares about those who are physically blind. 
Jesus cares about those who are oppressed by the weight of sin and about those who are oppressed by the weight of injustice. It's not either or. Another way we see this conversation is kind of silly. I remember as a high schooler going on these short-term mission trips, and and you would hear some kind of argument that kind of went like this, like, the people are hungry, but we got to give them the gospel. So do we give them a sandwich first and then the gospel, or do we preach the gospel and make them wait and then the sandwich later, right? And it's a silly question, but what it's getting at is what's the priority? Is the priority the physical need or the spiritual need? And there's like sharp debate about this. Even in some of our local ministries that are feeding people who are hungry, like making them wait and sit through a sermon before they get the food, or do you do it in the reverse order? As if people can't chew and listen at the same time. Have you ever been to the movies and enjoyed popcorn and a movie, right? Like, it's not a strange concept. We do this all the time. What we see in Jesus, though, is all of it matters. God's mission is for all of life. Someone should make a t-shirt. Yeah, I'm a dad, dad jokes, what are you going to do? God's mission is for all of life. God cares about all of these things. God understands the scope of sin. And if we narrow it to only physical brokenness or only physical bro- or spiritual brokenness, then what that means is we've actually narrowed the scope of our understanding of the Savior. If we have a little idea of sin, we have a little idea of the Savior. But Jesus is stretching our imaginations here. He's saying all of these things matter. We see him live this out. We see him heal the blind, cleanse the lepers. We see him provide spiritual insight and understanding. We see the spirit come and people are aware of their sins and they repent and they turn to God and there is spiritual transformation and we see physical transformation. All of life is all for Jesus. We see that his mission includes all of these things. Paul tells us, Christ is reconciling all things. And this is where the preacher does the little little preacher trick, right, of you know what the Greek says, for all of life, the word means all of life. It's all things, right? Jesus is reconciling all things. His mission is big. It's holistic in nature. God cares about all of these things. We see this most accurately or or most clearly in this last phrase in verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And and I don't know about you, but I don't like favors, not in my common vernacular, like favor be upon you, my friend, right? Like, so I I had to look into this a little bit. And what it's referencing is all the way back to Leviticus chapter 25. And there was this law that God gave his people about what was called the year of Jubilee. And as I started to learn more about this, super fascinating. I wish I had more time to to explain it. But basically, what would happen is every 50 years, Israel was supposed to celebrate what's called a year of jubilee. So debts were wiped clean. People are like, ooh, moving to Israel. Uh, If land was sold from one family to another because of financial hardship, the land was restored. If people had to sell themselves as servants to others, they they were restored back to their families. 
And there was a year of rest and dependence upon God. So think about this. Imagine we, just, we already started 2020. So 2021, no one in the U.S. is going to work. We can't even get through it without giggling, right? Like it's so, no one in the U.S. is going to work. No kid will be in school. Sorry, parents. Everyone's basically going to take a year-long vacation where they can rest and worship God. What would other nations think? This is highly unusual. What would that do to our stress levels? What would that free up financially if everyone was debt-free? It's hard. We struggle to imagine this because it's so different than our experience. Imagine those student loans, gone. The medical debt, people are like, preach, amen. <laughs> the medical debt, gone. You have a year. What would that do for people with young children, for the de development of your child, a year to spend with them? Jesus is saying complete restoration and healing, that's what comes with this mission. It's almost too good to be true. We struggle to realize what that would feel like, what that experience would be like. Jesus is saying, this year of the Lord's favor is today. And think about what those things are concerned with, right? It's about returning land. So there's an economic concern for restoration. There's a social concern. If you have been sold, if you have sold yourself into slavery, you are restored back to your family, back to your community. You're restored socially, economically, and there is this deep trust in God that he will provide, that he will sustain us for the next year. Not our bank account, not our savings, not the 401k, not our investment, none of, that God will provide and sustain us. This is an agrarian culture, Right? that there will be enough crops in the years preceding that it'll be okay, that we can make it. Think about what that does to your dependence on God, your trust in him. Jesus is saying all of life is included in this, economics, social, spiritual, physical, emotional. He cares about the restoration of all things. So God's mission is empowered by the Spirit. God's mission is for all of life. And finally, God's mission invites the outsiders in. So I'm going to read this again. And think through these things in the physical, in the spiritual, in the emotional. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the physically poor, the financially poor the spiritually poor, the emotionally poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind. Not just blind, but fill in the blank with the medical issue that you have, that your loved one has. The recovery of health for all of these things. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All of the things that are burdensome, all of the things that are heavy and weigh you down, 
all of the issues from the past, whether it's things that were spoken to you or said to you or done to you or things that you did to someone else, there's freedom. There's liberty. There's recovery of health and wholeness and flourishing in the way things ought to be. That's what this mission is in the process of recovering. That's what Jesus came to embody. That's what his people are called to embody. That's what we are called to embody in Tempe and in the surrounding areas, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, as we go to and from work and whatever we do. This is the life that we are called to embody. But here's the deal, guys. I don't know about you, but all of these areas that Jesus is saying, there's good news and there's hope and there's liberty, these are the deep wounds that I hide from everyone else. These are the areas that I get insecure and I don't want to be vulnerable about and I don't want to share with the people that are in my lives because for whatever reason. Jesus says, don't avoid those. Those deep wounds that continue to drag us down, those are the places that he wants to bring healing and restoration, that he wants to bring life and hope and joy, that there can finally be a day of peace. That we don't have to keep carrying these things. We don't have to keep feeling the weight of the oppression and the captivity that we have been succumbed to. This is what he's declaring. And then he lives it out. He, le- he lives it out as he walks around ancient Israel and he heals people and he provides hope and healing. And then guess what, guys? It doesn't stop there. We see in the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament that the early church lives it out. They care for the poor. They care for the orphans. They care for the widows. They care for those in need. They care for one another. People from diverse backgrounds and upbringings and and, and ethnicities are coming together united in Christ. This is not just an abstract concept. It's not a fairy tale that we read in a book that was written long ago. We see this happening today at Redemption Tempe in the church in Phoenix. We see glimpses of what this gospel is like. In every marriage that moves from unhealth to health, we see a glimpse of the gospel. In every homeless person that is housed because you guys give faithfully to Tempe 10 and we can partner with the city, we see the gospel. We see good news for the poor. In every refugee family that's welcome in and loved and served by you guys, we see this gospel embodied. And everyone who wrestles with trauma and hurt and past abuse who finds hope in healthy relationships, in small groups, and in serving together, we see the gospel. Our hope is tangible because we know one another. And I can see, I know how the gospel has changed you. I know what you used to be like. I know what I used to be like. One of my favorite things probably from my entire seminary was uh, this class where the, the professor was talking about how we ask different questions of the Bible. And in the context in which the Bible was written, they would never have asked, like some of us do, like, is the Bible true? It doesn't matter if it's true. The question they would ask is, is it powerful? The longer I'm a part of this community, the more I see your guys' stories, the more my family tries to walk with Jesus, I cannot argue. This gospel is powerful. Jesus changes lives today as much as he changed them 2,000 years ago. That's where we put our hope. 
that there is power in this gospel. That's what empowers us for mission because he invites the outsiders in. We have a place at the table. The family welcomes us with open arms, and we're in this thing together. I don't know about you guys, but I know some of the conversations that I've had, the holidays were hard for my own family. (laughs) We're at the celebrations, we're with the friends and the family, and there's still those times that we just feel alone. We feel isolated, we feel like we don't fit in. The good news is that that's who Jesus identifies. We don't need to hide it, we don't need to deny it, we don't need to pretend like it's not there. He takes that weakness and uses it. Those deep wounds of hurt become like wombs of transformation that life spills forth from. This is the model of Jesus. We have life because he died. And he uses us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, the God of all comfort comforts us in the midst of our distress so that we in turn may comfort others in their distress. That's the good news of Jesus. He meets us in our poverty. He meets us in our blindness. He meets us in our oppression and our captivity, and he provides good news and liberty and hope. That's what gives us life, because he pours out his spirit on us. How can we not share that? So as we think about who is Jesus calling, he's calling the outsiders in. He's making room for them at the table. And now we get to make room for other folks. And we see the scope of this mission. We see that it includes all of life. You don't have to change your job. You don't have to pursue a new career field. God has you where you are for a reason, eager to empower you with his spirit to engage in mission. And just as we have received hope and healing and peace and joy in the areas of deep brokenness where we feel like outsiders, that gives us eyes to see people who are also being overlooked. And we can move towards them with confidence, right? Look at what Jesus says. Verse 21, he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I don't know. There's no second guessing. There's confidence and conviction. It's not arrogance. He speaks the truth. Today the scripture has been fulfilled. What God promised years ago, that a deliverer would come and remove the weight that you have been burdened by through all of those long nights of hopelessness, the hours spent on your knees begging for reprieve. Jesus says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Today there is hope. Today there's a change. And that change comes through Jesus. Will you guys pray with me? Oh, Jesus, thank you. We thank you for the good news of your gospel. That you care about us all aspects of our life. Jesus, you care about our physical bodies. You care about our emotional well-being. You care about our spiritual state. Jesus, you care about our city. You care about affordable housing. You care about kids in the foster care system. You care about um, sickness and disease. You care about war. You care about all of these things. Jesus, we thank you that you give us your spirit to empower us, that we don't have to try to do this in our own strength. We can't. We thank you that 
you invite us as outsiders into your family. We thank you for your hospitality. We thank you for your sacrifice that it literally cost you your life. But we thank you that there's hope to this story. You were raised from the dead. That there's power. That you transform. And so Jesus, we ask, give us courage. The areas of our life that we're fearful to expose, give us courage. The areas that we feel isolated and, and fearful, give us courage. You tell us more than anything in your word not to be afraid. And so would you continue to reveal yourself as a good savior who's powerful, who's in control, and that we can trust? Would you provide real examples throughout our week of how good you are to us and how much we can trust you? And Jesus, would you do this not just so that we can feel better, but so that your name can be glorified, so that there can be no doubt that you are good and you are in control and you are powerful, and that that message would spread throughout this area, would spread throughout this year, and would spread throughout this decade. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more, help us to trust you more, and help us to obey you more. We pray this in your name. Amen.